This week on WealthTrack, a global trade reset and the privatization of the public markets are two mega themes identified by former top performing global fund manager Bill Wilby. How they are shaping his personal portfolio are next on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, Clearbridge Investments, a Leg Mason company, Miller Value Funds, Royce and Associates, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, Strategus Asset Management, and Eaton Vance. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. As we enter a new decade, what are some of the major changes we face as investors? For answers, we are asking a global investor known not only for his past performance, but also for identifying big themes which can have outsized influence on the financial markets. He is great investor Bill Wilby, who has appeared with us exclusively since his retirement from professional money management over a decade ago. Now an active private investor, Wilby is a member of the External Investment Committee for Tiedemann Advisors, a wealth management firm catering to high net worth individuals, and is a member of the Investment Committee for the West Point Association of Graduates, managing the school's endowment. He was the portfolio manager of the award-winning Oppenheimer Global Fund, which was ranked number one in its category for the 12 years he ran it. Wilby retired at the market's peak in 2007. Talk about timing, because he was concerned about the state of the financial markets. A graduate of West Point, Wilby also has a PhD in international monetary economics and has held various international finance and investment positions at top financial institutions, including the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago. Wilby wanted to discuss a couple of themes with us. One is the privatization of the public markets, which we have been following with concern as well. A classic example is the Wilshire 5000 Index, which is the first and oldest measure of the total U.S. equity market. Created in 1974 with 5,000 stocks in it, it reached a high of more than 7,500 publicly traded companies in 1998 and has now fallen to about 3,500 issues. There are now many more companies being backed by private equity firms than there are publicly traded stocks. The flow of money into firms investing in privately held companies is a global phenomenon. According to McKinsey, the net asset value of private equity globally has grown more than sevenfold since 2002, outpacing the publicly traded stocks around the world. While the money is pouring into private equity, it has been leaving the stock market. Since 2008, funds have been flowing out of U.S. stock mutual funds and ETFs and pouring into bonds. Wilby will explain why he thinks the two are related. The other theme Wilby is watching, which he believes has investment significance, is what he calls the global trade reset. I asked him to explain. Well, it, it's, an, it's an old theme. I mean, it's, it's started probably six or eight years ago, but it's picking up momentum mm-hmm. under Trump. And if you, if you think about it, after World War II, the trading system was set up, it was totally U.S.-centered. We were the capital provider, uh, and there was a system of tariffs and value-added taxes, all sorts of things that set up walls around virtually everybody else in the world except Uh the United States. Oh, interesting. And gradually, over time, that's been tweaked down Mm -hmm. through 
what used to be called the GATT, the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, and then the WTO. And we ate at those trade barriers mm -hmm. around the, mar the margin. Right. But the basic structure is still there. The value-added tax structure in all the countries of the world is a subtle way of it's it's a replacement for tariffs, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it basically protects because they so refund they mm -hmm. refund the export subsidies at the border. It's a subtle export subsidy for uh, exporters in in countries outside the U.S. and it's a barrier to imports because the importer has to pay the value-added tax. Oh, so it's like a twenty. 20% tariff. Yeah. So so, so, so so the old kind of global trade order, you're saying it was kind of rigged against us. It's we always were more been rigged open, against us. But, yeah, it's, but it's, and we, it's we knew that, yeah, right? We knew that, and we were huge beneficiaries of uh -huh. that because we built factories overseas to get inside those tariff walls. And, you know, we had tremendous, we had demand for our exports and all mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Our multinationals made a lot of made a lot of money on it, but at the same time, it sort of gutted the middle class and the, you know, the employees. Here. And here. In the U.S., yes. I see. Yes, this was the outsourcing overseas. of labor. The sure. biggest incentive for the outsourcing of labor was the tariff barriers and the value-added tax structure mm -hmm. overseas. And uh, so that incentivized all this, these huge capital outflows. And we still have unequal tariffs. Let me look at, take a simple thing like European auto tariffs. The mm -hmm. average tariff's three times higher than what the tariff in the U.S. is. So, and there's no reason for that. These mm -hmm. companies are totally competitive. There's no, re we were the only, you know, only man standing at the end of World War II. Mm -hmm. And and we were, you know, very gracious and also right, and it was in our own interest in financing the rebuilding of the rest of the world. But mm -hmm. that period is over and really was over 20 years ago. And now we've been sort of nicking at the edges of that structure. And, and now it's opening up and it has lots of implications. It's kind of like the, the sugar daddy, the U.S. sugar mm -hmm. daddy is going away. Mm -hmm. And it has a lot of implications for the performance of foreign markets relative to the U.S., Oh, in, okay. And for example, and so, that's so, one of the reasons I have had very little money in foreign markets mm -hmm. since I retired 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. Does that, so we are pulling back from investing capital over, inside these trade barriers. Yes. And that's going to ultimately may help employment here. It may mean less demand for U.S. products outside. We just have to see how mm -hmm. these are very complex relationships. And, and it's the dismantling of this that's created uncertainty and business hesitancy in right. capital investing, which is one of the source of the reason why we're growing 2% instead of 4% mm -hmm. right now, in my view. I think the potential is there to grow 3 or 4% but I think the, the trade wars kind of knocked us down a percent. So the, as far as the you know, markets are concerned, so the, competitive, uh, the competitiveness of foreign markets versus U.S. markets, and certainly for the last decade, the U.S. markets right. have outperformed with right. some right. fits and starts in between. Right. Um, but they've outperformed foreign markets. So do you think that's going to continue? And I think it's a good news, bad news story, okay. uh, depending on which perspective you take on it. Right. But, but uh, 
it, the U.S. has been outperforming because of this phenomenon, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Our economy has been far and away the strongest. Right. As capital has, as less capital has been leaking overseas, it's stayed more at home, which means invested in the U.S. capital markets. We are the largest weight of money in mm -hmm. terms of wealth in the world. So mm -hmm. where we go makes the biggest difference in relative performance. And what's happened is the U.S. now has a significant price premium relative to foreign markets. Our premiums, our premiums have been up. going up and the discount's been yes. returning to foreign markets. So I think the, the force for U.S. outperformance is still there, but the pricing differential may reduce the the amount of any outperformance going forward. And it wouldn't surprise me to see a period of a year or two where just on the base of relative valuation, foreign markets do better, particularly if we have a political hiccup mm -hmm. in the U.S. in 2020. But I think the longer term trend over the next decade or two is going to be of exceptionally strong U.S. performance relative to, mm -hmm. to foreign performance. How does China figure in to this equation? Um, China is its own particular entity in the global markets here. It's got the intellectual horsepower for significant innovation. I think we're seeing real innovation coming out of China. And they are a real competitor to the US, both in terms of capability as well as they have a totally different system and, and model for doing business. I personally think that the open, liberal, democratic, free market system will prevail, mm -hmm. but it may be tested mm -hmm. by the Chinese. Uh, China has a serious debt problem. Uh, you don't see the problems the debt problems don't come to the fore until after an economy starts slowing. It's mm -hmm. in the, which it's doing now. Which it's doing right now. And you're starting to see some small debt problems. You've seen a couple of bankruptcies yes. hit the news in the last uh, few months. Um, I, uh, I'm not a, a big investor in China, mm -hmm. but there are some good companies. I, own, I think I own three Chinese stocks. Mm -hmm. So, right, Tencent, Alibaba, right. and... Yeah, and Baidu. Oh, Baidu, sure. I own about 10 foreign stocks mm -hmm. in my portfolio. Most of them are blue chips that I've known for a long mm -hmm. period of time. I've owned a couple of Japanese stocks. I've owned Hoya for mm -hmm. 14, oh. 15 years. Right. It's a wonderful company. And mm -hmm. it just every year it just beats all the markets. It's just a great mm -hmm. company. Optical equipment maker, mm -hmm. you know, they're the next to Essilor in France. They're the largest in lenses, mm -hmm. uh, very sophisticated lenses. So I own a bunch of uh, I own a bunch of individual stocks, mm -hmm. but I don't make big country bets. No. I, I don't have a large exposure mm -hmm. to China, but I want to be there to understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. But there. country risk, and especially when I when I think of the rule of law, shareholder rights, yeah, that kind of thing. I mean, did, that, I those mean, are the issues. You know, those, those are the issues. Are, those so, are but, the issues, but, and they still exist. Yes, they still exist, and uh, that's why I'm. I'm so long-term positive on the U.S. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the U.S. has gotten expensive. It's had a great run for the last several years. Um, but I, I'm still very comfortable with right. 80, 90% of my equity exposure in the U.S. The next big theme uh, that, you've that you've identified, and again, th this is a theme 
that is out there, but you've identified as a really significant one, and that is the privatization of the public markets in the U.S. Right. And you know some of the statistics, the Wilshire 5,000, which is supposed to represent the total market, it you know the it publicly traded companies, it reached a high of 7,562 companies right. in 1998. It's now down to 3,530 companies. So the the Isn't number that amazing. Yes, the number of publicly traded companies has shrunk dramatically. And uh, yeah. the on the other side of that is the the private equity firms, which um, you know have doubled uh, since in the last uh, you know ten or twelve years. Why are the number of publicly traded companies shrinking? Do you think? Well, I think two reasons: both M and A, right, share buybacks, and then just straight taking public companies private to leverage them and produce outsized returns for a private equity manager. Why is this a significant development? Well, I, I, I think it's significant because the public equity market is, you know, it's regulated. Mm -hmm. It's not leveraged. Mm -hmm. uh, the private equity market is leveraged. There are, it's much less transparent. The public equity market mm -hmm. is highly transparent. So we are moving from a transparent, open, unleveraged market to a less transparent, leveraged equity market. Mm -hmm. Now, the other side of that is, is that the private equity players may be able to force, to, to to focus more on longer term issues. And mm -hmm. that's back to one of the reasons why this has occurred is the obsession of the public equity market with short term quarterly earnings and right. that sort of thing is one of the things that's produced the incentive for companies to go private to get away from that, supposedly to focus on longer term issues. But mm -hmm. if you're leveraged, I'm not sure how long term that makes you, you know? Yes. So, there's a little bit of hypocrisy, I think, in those in some of those arguments. It's a significant development because it's yes. a change in the nature of the equity market. Right. And I think it also, because of the leverage factor, if you look for where the next accident comes from, you always want to look where is the leverage, where is the borrowing, where is the excessive borrowing taking place. And in my view right now, it's in private equity. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're there at crisis levels in private equity, but who knows? You know, we, we certainly may be getting there. And uh, if, if we had some unusual development that produced a big collapse in equity values, uh, and res or, and which, or a big earnings decline, mm -hmm. which meant that these leveraged private equity players couldn't meet their interest and Obligations. cash demands, right. then you've got an issue. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, I, think it's an, I think it's an area that, that sets up for trouble in the future. I'm not saying it's here now. Uh, and, and the other side of this is maybe, given the internet and the information flows, maybe private equity is a wave of the future. I don't know what mm -hmm. the answer to that is. Mm -hmm. Maybe we don't need the big regulatory framework. The internet itself produces its own, you know, self-regulatory self-regulatory constraints. I'm doubt it. I'm, I doubt it. I'm yes. not convinced of that either. But I, I, I just think this is a significant development, and it's one that really bears watching. And all of us that are investing in the 
public or private markets need to pay attention to what's going on. And, and that's one of the reasons why you're sticking with the public markets, right? Because of, exactly. because of you know what you're investing in, they're right. liquid, right. they're not leveraged, they haven't, or if, right. if they are, you know what kind of yeah. debt levels they these companies have taken on because they have to declare it, they're right. regulated. I'm a retired private investor, and so I like transparency with the investments I buy, and uh, I think it makes me favor public investments over private investments. If I were an insider or an institution or a member of a private equity firm, I might think otherwise. But, uh, but an individual, I think, should probably confine themselves to the public equity market. I have bought a couple of individual private stocks mm -hmm. on my own mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I'm able to have confidence. I've met the management and that sort of thing. And right. uh, so uh, I'm, I'm happy doing that. But those are the exceptions rather than the rules. So it's a, for, for the, the general public investor, I think uh, sticking with liquid, transparent public equity, also because that's where the biggest fear factor is. Mm -hmm. There's more, there's been more euphoria in the private, in the private equity, equity. Space, right. all the institutions want to go there. Yes. You know, uh, the returns look historically very attractive. Everybody's terrified of the public equity market, but that's why the public equity market right now is so healthy mm -hmm. because there's such a healthy skepticism dose of skepticism. Here we are in, you know, one of the greatest bull markets in history right. for the last 10 years, even though it's had fits and starts along the way, significant ones. Right. Um, the outflows from, you know, equities from e equity funds right. um, have been significant, whereas the inflows into bond market funds and into money market funds have been enormous. And right. can you explain that? Why I think, that's happening? I think there's a I think there's a big misreading uh -huh. of that data. Mm -hmm. uh, holdings of an asset can go down either because the supply decreases or the demand decreases. Right. And, uh, and actually it has to be because the supply decreases because demand, all demand does is affect the pricing oh. of the asset. Uh, so if you look at what's happening, I think this is the private equity phenomena viewed from the other side. Mm -hmm. So what you see happening is corporations either buying back their own stock, right. okay, which Taking takes supply, them away right, from the, the mutual fund or the public market, or, or they're being bought by their competitors or other companies mm -hmm. through so mergers and acquisitions. acquisitions or through private equity managers. Mm -hmm. And when the private equity managers buy them, they're leveraging the transaction. So they're issuing bonds and the bonds have to be taken up somewhere. So they are held by the shadow banking system or whoever and then end mm -hmm. up getting bought by bond funds because they're always on offer out there. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. And, and, and so... What we see is, and also there is a demographic factor here because of the, the retiring of the yes, baby, baby boom. We're when you retire, you're going to set your retirement portfolio at some lower exposure of stocks versus yes, bonds. Yes, and also possibly sell, you know, start selling it off to support yourself. Exactly. Right. So you want a bond exposure. You want to, depending on you know how much risk you're willing to accept, you're going to take you're going to have some bonds in your portfolio. Even I own some bonds. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, not many, but I own a few. And uh, so um, 
I think both phenomena are happening at the same time, but I think one of the biggest factors is this money flowing into private equity, which is leveraging the public equity market. So you're seeing an increase in the supply of, of bonds and the privatization of the public market is taking away the supply of stock. I'm gonna go back to April of 2009, when you okay. were in WealthTrack, just okay. right after the market bottom, but who knew, but you told us then that you know the worst is behind us. And you said um, that you were buying US over international, you were buying growth over value, you were buying blue chips versus small uh, company stocks and dividend payers. Well, wow. In April of 2009, those yeah, were the right um, calls to right, make. Right, right. So what are you saying now? In, Strategy in similar... is kind of a healthy degree of nervousness right now because we, we are, you know, this has been a, since 2009, the market's been going up. Mm -hmm. uh, it has been punctuated by three no, quasi-bear markets have, where the market right. was down 20%. Right, people three forget big that. corrections, yes. Three big corrections that were almost mini bear markets. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so I, I still think the market's climbing a wall of worry. When I go through my list of, uh, my kind of checklist of, of, of market factors, valuation, liquidity, earnings, momentum, all that sort of stuff, all looks kind of neutral, which is where the market stays most of the time, mm -hmm. which means it's climbing its typical wall of worry. Right. And that's where we are. I prefer liquid stocks to illiquid stocks for the reasons I talked about, because right. I, I, I think... There are excesses developing in the private equity space. Uh, I, uh, so I prefer the liquid public market because of the skepticism, the, the you know, attractive valuation mm -hmm. relative to bonds and other assets. Um, and uh, I, I like munis over corporates in mm -hmm. here because I'm concerned about corporate leverage. I think mm -hmm. corporations, because the private equity phenomena also have levered their balance sheets more. And uh, so I'm, I, I'm not a big fan of corporate bonds in here. Um, I still like the digital economy. Mm -hmm. I, I think- And the last time you were here, actually the, the, the time, the most recent time was 2016, and you recommended Amazon, which is up a phenomenal amount since then. I mean, it's more than doubled. Right. So. Um, yeah, I'm still a fan of these companies, mm -hmm. and although here you have the regulatory risk overhanging all mm -hmm. of the... Amazon and the, Facebook. The, the and, big four. Right. And, uh, the fangs, right. The fangs, but... Yeah, uh, F-A-A-N-G. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Apple was who I Apple. forgot. Apple's probably not facing the regulatory risk, but it's got cyclical yes. risk. So all the big four popular stocks have got some risk factors uh, associated with them that they have not had to the same degree mm -hmm. as they do now. Um, so if, if there's one investment that we could get from you today for a long-term diversified portfolio, what would it that. be? I, th I still like Google Consuelo. Um, I've, it's been my largest position for years, mm -hmm. almost since the IPO, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I think it's it's just in the perfect position in terms of uh, artificial intelligence, in in, in terms of uh, all of the big trends that we're seeing developing. Plus, it's it's it it's the choke point for knowledge, the knowledge economy. It takes the avalanche of information and makes it usable to the world. 
And uh, so I, I, I think it's, uh, and it's also got perhaps the best venture capital operation on the planet. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, that's Google Ventures. You right. know, that's where autonomous driving has come out of. That's where all of these things. So you're buying a venture capital operation. There's no value in Google for that. I mean, if you took the venture capital assets out, you know, Google's valuation drops because all that is is losses right now. So the profitability of Google looks greater. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's, I think you, I think it's a very interesting company still to own a big position. Well, we'll leave it there, Bill Wilby. Thank you so much for joining us again to talk about your big themes and some specific companies as okay. well. We really Thanks. appreciate it. Thanks, great to be here. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's Action Point follows up on Bill Wilby's advice for himself and most other individual investors, which is to stick with publicly traded securities, especially during times of market turbulence. There are so many signs of trouble brewing in private equity from the explosion in players, number of deals, money flows, leverage, and even the Securities and Exchange Commission's proposal to loosen the rules of entry. There are just too many firms, many inexperienced, chasing too few good deals. And the ability to participate in deals with the top PE firms is not available to average investors. Let caveat emptor, buyer beware, be your guiding principle. Next week, top strategist Richard Bernstein will tell us why he turned bearish months ago. He'd rather be early than wrong. In this week's extra feature on our website, Bill Wilby recommends two books that will counter the doomsday narratives that are so prevalent in the world today. Please keep connecting with us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks so much for being with us. Have a super weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.